I want to uh, thank the church for your invitation, your hospitality, and your graciousness. And thank Brother and Sister Dukes for their hospitality and opening their home up to me. I know I put somebody out of a bed, and I know who it was, so I appreciate that so much. There's such a common bond between the Lord's people and a very special bond between those who are of like faith. So I pray the Lord will bless this church, this congregation, the visiting sister churches that are represented here this weekend with manifold blessings for all of your graciousness to the Lord's people as you encounter them from time to time. <clears throat> I was at the nursing home one day visiting an elderly man who he didn't have long to live. I don't know if he knew that, but he didn't have long to live. And as before I left, I said, Brother, may I offer prayer for you? And he said, Well, as long as you keep it short. So I sort of smiled at him and offered prayer. I said, Well, how was that? Was that short enough for you? He said, That's just about right. So, I trust this afternoon that the Lord will bless us to receive something out of his word and make it just about right. Not too short, not too long, but just what we need. I've always been amazed at the end of service and folks say, I really appreciate what you said about ABC, and I got to thinking, I didn't preach ABC, I preached XYZ. <laughs> but somewhere in that, in maybe one of the rabbits I chased, or a side comment, or something, the Lord blessed that person to get what they needed. And the Lord amazes me in how He can do that. And I may not even realize that I said such and such, but that's what they needed, and the Lord blessed them to hear it. Uh, I, I do want to go back to the ninth chapter of Hebrews. And when I said that this morning, that we would go to the ninth chapter this afternoon, I realized that's a very arrogant statement. Uh, that's very bold. Because between then and now, who knows where the Lord wants me to go. Uh, but I, I still feel inclined to this, so I trust this is of the Lord. <clears throat> As we're looking at the book of Hebrews this morning, and we, we started last night headed in that direction, and we're looking at Christ in this new covenant that we have, this covenant of grace, this covenant where the work of Christ is summed up 
in the beginning of that eighth chapter. I said this morning that I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. Because one of the stumbling blocks that the Jews had, and you know, I'm I'm not anti-Jew. I I, I don't want to be labeled anti-Semitic. I am anti-ignorant, anti-sin. If someone denies the Lord Jesus Christ that I believe in and love, I'm anti that opinion and and hope that I take a position and a stand to present the truth. But I think it's fair to say that who Christ was and is has been a stumbling block for the Jewish people. Because they failed to believe on him as a nation when he came. Many did. Many had their eyes and hearts open that this is the Messiah. And they rejoiced in it. And, and some said, well, I've been waiting on this. I can die happy now. We even find Gentiles who having not the law, but became become a law unto themselves. Some of the Gentiles were waiting. The woman at the well who'd been married so many times, she was looking for the Messiah. She knew that was one of Jacob's wells. So even the Gentiles were looking for this promise to be fulfilled. Well, I, you know, I believe they already had the Lord in their heart. God didn't start regenerating people spiritually when Christ came. He's been doing it since the beginning. You know, putting His presence in people's hearts and minds and spirits. So, in the ninth chapter, we have the Apostle Paul, just like the rest of Hebrews, is presenting Christ. To us, the whole book of Hebrews is a presentation of Jesus Christ based upon the things that the Jews knew. They knew about Melchizedek. They knew what the qualifications needed to be of the high priest and of the sacrifice. And and Paul is presenting Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of all of these Old Testament requirements. For a priesthood and a sacrifice. But there's a verse in the ninth chapter that, that I want to I want to tell you what I think about it, and I hope that um, I do it justice. The twenty seventh verse. Paul's been talking about Christ prior to this, for he must uh, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But he makes this statement tucked in between another verse, the 28th verse, 
So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The second time that you see Christ coming out of the clouds to us, it will not be for the purpose of overcoming sin. It will be for the purpose of completing the salvation by taking those that are his with him. The work of salvation is done. Paul says we wait for the body to wit, the resurrection of, oh, uh, the, resurrection of the body. We wait to witness this. The 27th verse says this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. All right, let me let me let me just say this very quickly. First of all, there is nothing about that verse you ought to be upset about. There's nothing about that verse that scares me. There's nothing about that verse I worry about. But uh, having worked in the funeral home industry, having sat and listened to a lot of sermons by ministers of other uh, religious orders, uh, that verse is always presented as something that you need to be a little bit worried about. Because when you die, you're going to be judged. Okay. Let me tell you how I see this verse. We're going to break it into two parts, and I know that this is the afternoon, and I'm I'm watching the clock there, and I just want to give you something to chew on that I think is going to glorify God at the, in the end. The first part says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die. Okay? There are at least two men that I know of who did not suffer death. Okay? Enoch is one is the first one. Now, I'm going to cut out some of my reading here and just get to a couple points. When you read there in Genesis, and it goes, uh, go back up three generations above Enoch, it says, and so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived so many years that he died. And then the, that next, Enoch's grandfather, and so-and-so lived so many years and begat so-and-so, and he died. And then Enoch's father lived so many years, and he died. And you get to Enoch, it says, and he lived so many years, and he was not, for God took him. doesn't say he died. Okay. So then we go over into a Second Corinthians, and we find a prophet by the name of Elijah. And the Bible says that Elijah was taken into heaven by whirlwind. Chariots of fire, horses of fire came down, swooped him up, and took him into heaven in a whirlwind. Doesn't say he died. He was carried straight to heaven by the power of God and this means that God chose to use. And God can choose any means that he wants to to accomplish certain things. His means are always correct and, and right and, and sound and, and righteous. So we have two folks that, that we know didn't die. Okay. 
And then we have the Apostle Paul telling us that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And if you study on the word sleep there, it means to be deceased. We shall not all be deceased. We shall not all die. But he uses the word sleep, and I think he uses that for a particular cause, that this is not a permanent condition. But we shall all be changed. Okay, so if you don't die, and what's the circumstance of us not dying? Well, Jesus could come back right now. And if he came back right now, we would not suffer death, but we would be changed because we are not suitable physical bodies for an eternal existence in heaven. We would be changed that our physical bodies would match that condition of the resurrected body. That one without sin, without condemnation, that perfect body that's going to come out of the grave and be carried to heaven, we would be changed into such a perfect body without sin that we would be fit subjects for the presence of God. Okay? But what does this verse say? And as it is appointed unto men once to die. Is there a death that comes upon all men. Well, let's let's back up in Romans. In the fifth chapter. And remember, when you're studying the Bible... Be mindful that words can have more than one definition. Some words have eternal applications. There is an eternal salvation. Yet sometimes that there is a salvation that we experience here. We know there are at least three heavens. Probably more we could we could pull into that, but. Paul said that he knew a man caught up to the third heaven. So there's at least three. So when somebody says, uh, uh, ask you a question about heaven, it, it's fair to say, well, which one are you talking about? Are you saved? Well, which one are you talking about? My memory and knowledge of the Scriptures saved me from a lot of things. Paul said you're saved if you keep in memory. But ultimately, we are saved by Jesus Christ. In the fifth chapter of Romans, the twelfth verse, the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death and sin go hand in hand. Reminds me of Miriam's song, the, the horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. You know, the Lord took care of both those things, death and sin in one, in one swift action through His Son. 
Death passed upon all men. Yet here's two men and a group of folks at the end of time who will not sleep, who will not suffer disease. Two men who did not die. And so this verse isn't talking about the death that they went through. I believe the Bible teaches us this afternoon that all men in Adam have suffered death. And when did Adam suffer death? Well, which one? He lived many years before his physical body came to a point of decay and he quit breathing and he yielded up the ghost. Yet the Lord told him concerning the fruit of the tree, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was a death that took place on that day, a separation from the condition Adam was in before he ate the fruit to a worser condition, not good grammar there I guess, but a worse condition afterwards. And death passed upon all of us. Okay? But after this, the judgment. I guess that's the scary part for folks. And uh, folks will tell me a lot of times, well, you know, you're when I die, I'm going to be judged. And I'm like, well, if that's so, what did Jesus do for you? If you're going to be judged when you die, what good was the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ? Has God forgotten about it? Or was it just a partial offering? Was it, uh, was it the down payment and you got to make a balloon payment at the end? You know, is there something left to do? I hope not. I know not. I'm not worried about that. When did the judgment come for God's people? Brother, didn't it come on the cross? When Jesus Christ yielded up the ghost, when He died there, when His perfect, righteous blood fell upon the ground, and more importantly, fell upon us, being covered by that blood for the redemption of our sins, was not judgment met. Well, if it wasn't, then Paul's statement that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which be in Christ Jesus doesn't make any sense to me. If there is no condemnation for the children of God at this point in time, something had to happen between now and 2,000 years ago. The only thing I know of is that... that comes close is Jesus dying on the cross for us. Okay? Now, I, I had no intention of getting into the what's called the great white throne judgment, which the book of Revelations presents, but 
But just let me say this. What's, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? What, what does the 25th chapter of Matthew tell us is going to happen when Jesus comes back? Okay, that This is before this judgment. Okay, so there's going to be a judgment at some point. But when Jesus comes back, what does Matthew say? He'll separate the sheep from the goats. Okay? Where is he going to put the sheep? They're all going on the right side, aren't they? And the goats are going to the left. If he's if this is before that revelation judgment, how does he know which ones to put where? There has to be some distinction within these two groups. Jesus is going to have to look at them and say, well, you're a sheep and you're a goat. What's he looking at? Brother, is he not looking at the blood that he shed for the one but not the other? Is he not looking at the condition they have before God? One is condemned and one is not. If he separates the sheep to the right hand and the goats to the left, he has already made a distinction based on something. There's a difference between these two groups. All right? We know where the, the sheep are going. They're, they're going to be carried into heaven. And the goats are going to be cast into to hell prepared for the, the devil and his angels. All right, I said I wasn't going to get into the great white throne judgment, and I'm not. Y'all go read that. But it is based upon their works. The books are opened, and, and the Lord is going to read what's written in the books. Does it make sense that the elect of God would be in that judgment based on what's written in the books for these folks. When the Lord told us in this new covenant, I'll remember your sins no more. I promise you this afternoon, there is not a book in heaven with your sins written in it. The Lord is not keeping an accounting of all the things you've ever done wrong that you might be judged in the future. He is simply knowing Jesus died for you. That he paid the sin debt. You are without condemnation. There is not one thing that's going to be held against you when you die. The Lord is not going to go back to when you were five years old and you stole a sucker out of the corner candy store and nobody knew it. But you know what? That one sin right there could keep you out of heaven if the Lord hadn't died for you. Sin is sin. That one small sin is makes you a sinner just as much as murder. So when we stand before God in eternity, we're, we're going to be perfect. We're going to have been made perfectly prepared by the work of Jesus Christ. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Alright? Without sin unto salvation. So back up a, a step and, and look at it the way folks are looking at. 
Well, when Christ comes back, he's going to judge us all. There's going to be an eternal judgment of my sins. Yet this verse says that when he comes back, shall he appear the second time without sin. He did not take your sins away that when he comes back again, he's going to bring them back to you. You know. Well, I'm going to bring them, but we're going to go back in the vault, get them all, and now we're going to deal with them. That's, that's gone. That's over with. That's done. Without sin unto salvation. And what, other, what is the ultimate outcome without sin? It's got to be salvation. Without sin, you are a perfect, suitable subject for the eternal presence of God. You know, you're, you're not a fit subject for hell. You're, you're without sin. And then a great number of folks in the world, you're not a fit subject for heaven because you never believed in the Lord or accepted Him. You know, that's worse than being an atheist all dressed up, no place to go. <laughs> at least the atheist, he deserves what he's about to get, but you being an, a born-again child of God, where are you going to go? You're a, a man with no homeland. Brother, if the Lord has made you fit, subject, suitable for His presence, then you can guarantee you're going to be in His presence. There's no place else to go because there doesn't need to be. I said last night that sometimes when we start talking about some of these legal things, folks will turn their, well, I just, I don't get it. I'm not going to try to get it. Don't understand. It's deep. The Lord blesses us to understand these things. Um, Paul goes on to present Jesus, the remainder of Hebrews. He's presented him all the way through. The 12th chapter, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We begin with Jesus, we end with Jesus. I, I don't know what y'all think the sin is that does so easily beset us, but I think it's the same for all of us. I think it's disbelief. Just to my thought. You know, some folks, alcohol sets them aside or besets them pretty easy. Some folks, gossip besets them pretty easy. But brother, I, I, I think disbelief and a lack of faith sometimes besets all of us. I am so thankful this, this afternoon to feel to be a part of God's family and to have wondrous times of fellowship and love with the others of God's family who rejoice to hear 
what Jesus Christ has done for us. I appreciate your time and attention and pray the Lord bless this church, this congregation, and all of the churches represented here in the, in the days and years to come and that he will give us all revival and lift us up. Because, brother, if I have to go running through the woods to worship the Lord, I'm just going to have to be like Moses, stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. God bless y'all.